you. Page 812, if you have one of our Bibles. We're in Matthew chapter 7. We'll be reading verses 21 through 23. And those of you who don't know, this is John Benzinger. He leads our young adult ministry, so he'll be the one preaching for us. Remember, this is God's word. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew, for, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you. As Josh said, my name's John. I'm the Young Adults Director here. And uh, just before I get started, if you're between 18 and like 30-ish and you're in college or working, single or married, doesn't matter, join us. Come join us today in room 11 at 12.30. So after the second service, go get some coffee. Come back, 12.30. Uh, come join us. We're going to have a good time. So we just got back from Christmas. We, my, my wife and my son and I, we, we drove eight hours through the desert last night from California where our family all lives and um, came back last night and, I mean, we, we were singing some carols out there, right? Carols about the dawn of redeeming grace and God and sinners reconciled, Jesus being born that man no more may die, saving us all from Satan's power. He opened wide the he our heavenly home. Like we, we sang about all these wonderful things. And, and the, thing, the, the reason that Christians get so psyched about Christmas is because this baby in a manger came to seek and to save the lost. Lost people like us. And Christmas is about Easter, right? It's, it's about the death and resurrection of the baby who becomes the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and so salvation is what Christmas is all about. But just like people in the passage we just read, there's a lot of confusion out there about how a person is saved. I mean, think about it. That, that passage we just read, uh, Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23, like here are, the, here are these people, they're, they're thinking like, yeah, I'm getting in, like this is so great, like I'm in heaven, I can't believe it, I'm finally here, and they're like, why is Jesus looking at me like that? I thought we were tight. Hey, Jesus, like, let me remind you that I did all of these wonderful things for you. I cast out demons. I performed miracles. I did all of those things in your name. Like, remember, you and I are tight. We had a relationship. And he goes, uh, get out of here. I didn't know you. I, I didn't have a relationship with you. I, I can't think of anything worse than that. Being confused or even deceived about salvation. That would be the, the, that would be the last thing I would ever want to be wrong about. However, when you look at the world today, you would find a lot of confusion. You'd find even a lot of deception out there about how someone goes to heaven. So what we're going to do is we're going to bust some myths about salvation. If you didn't see that on your, your uh, program. Have you seen that show, Mythbusters? How many of you have seen that show, Mythbusters? Let me see your hands. So what are they, good. So what do, you guys, what, what do they do on that show? They take these popular assumptions... And they test them to see if those things are actually true. So one myth that they, they tested was, can Coca-Cola remove rust? Can it remove rust? And they busted it. It can't. Can it dissolve a tooth overnight? They tried that. It's a popular myth. They found that they can't do that. Can dropping a penny from a skyscraper, can that kill somebody? They found that that was busted too. They, they bust myths. They've, they've been doing it for over 10 years now. 
But if you think about it, what's a myth? A myth is a commonly held, popular belief that's false. Widely held, lots of people believe it. It's something that a lot of people think are true, but it's something that's actually false. For instance, lots of people believe that using their cell phone while pumping gas can cause a fire. But on Mythbusters, they found that even though a lot of people believe that, that's actually false. It can't. So I want to talk to you about some myths about salvation, some false ideas about salvation that actually lots of Christians believe are true, but are actually false. And so this message is going to be more like a barbecue. Because more than being myths, the things we're going to talk about are actually sacred cows. Do you know what a sacred cow is? Sacred cow is a, is a, word, is a, is a term that we use. That's, it's a name given to an idea that cannot be tampered with or criticized for fear of public outcry. Let me, let me say that again. It is an idea that cannot be tampered with or criticized without fear of public outcry. So I'm going to be a little controversial. I'm going to risk making you think you've been wrong on multiple occasions about the most important thing you should never, ever be wrong about. Salvation. So we're going to look at five myths. Myth number, myth number one is the most controversial. It's the juiciest of all the sacred cows. It's the thickest one, so it's going to take longer to cook than all the others. So this one, so don't think like when, oh my gosh, we're moving to number two, well, like it's been <clears throat> ten minutes, like, and now we've got five more, like don't worry about it, this is the longest one. But myth number one is this, to be saved, you must, let's see it, yikes, accept Christ. I told you, sacred cows. Now let's be honest, how many of you have said that one? I know I have, I've said that one. I've been a Christian for 18 years. I've heard it my whole life in church. I've even said it myself. When did you become a Christian? When were you saved? Well, you know, I accepted Christ when dot, 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 dot. Do me a favor, please. If you have a phone or a tablet or some kind of thing, just take it out right now. If you've got it, take it out with you and open your Bible app. We, uh, the, the, the Bibles that the ushers pass out are ESV. So if you have a Bible app, open the ESV on your Bible app and and search for the words, accept Christ. Search for those words. Just take it, I mean, it's going to search the whole Bible in a matter of a second. So I know most people aren't going to do that, but if you were to do that, you would find that you're not going to find the Bible <coughs> talking at all about accepting Christ. It's not in the Bible. What you're going to find are a lot of verses about God accepting us. When you see that word and accept in Christ in the same verse, it's typically Christ accepting us. There's no verse in the ESV that says that, 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 that we accept Christ. It's not there. So accepting Christ is not biblical, as you would see on your smartphone if you just searched it. So how can we make this myth true? If this is the myth, how can we change this to make it true? Well, according to the Bible, to be saved, you must repent and believe. That's what the Bible says. That's how a person goes from death to life. That's how a person goes from not saved to saved. That's how a person is saved. It's not accepting Christ. It's repent and believe. 
Now, what I'm, what I'm going to do here is we're going to go through a bunch of scriptures right now. I'm not going to, I need to prove this to you because, again, it's a sacred cow. It's like, oh, no, I just, like, stepped on somebody's, you know, favorite pair of glasses or something like that. I just said, like, oh, my gosh, accepting Christ is not biblical. So I need to prove that. I need to show you. It's not really like I'm the Pope and you just do whatever I say. Like, that's not the, that's not the goal at all. The goal is that you see it from the Bible and you go, okay, the Bible teaches this. That's why I had you search for accept Christ. Let's just take a look at some verses. This was the message of Jesus. It says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, the gospel of God. And notice what he says. The time has come. Kingdom of God is near. And then what? Repent and believe. This is the message of the apostles. Notice that the early followers of Jesus, what is it that they said? They said, I've, I've declared, this is Paul speaking, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the message of Jesus. This is the message of the apostles. Let's take a look at some more passages. Belief and salvation go together. So that it is the testimony of many authors of the New Testament that one, when a person believes, he's saved. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 1.21. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So salvation, belief put together. Next one. It also says, that the New Testament, that when someone believes, his sins will be forgiven. So in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So there's forgiveness of sins. There is there's belief put together. Another one, when anyone believes, he receives Christ's righteousness. We've talked a lot about that in the book of Romans, that when a person believes... All of Jesus' perfection, called his righteousness, comes to them, and then God looks at them and treats them as if they live Jesus' life. Well, how does that happen? Romans chapter 4, verse 5, one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. The Bible also teaches that when someone believes, they will not be judged or condemned, that they're free from judgment. I don't know about you, I would like that. I'd like to be free from judgment. Notice John 3, 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. So whoever believes, not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The Bible also teaches that anyone who believes will not die in his sins. John 8, 24. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So we're seeing this connection between belief and salvation, that these, these two things go together. One more passage. It, the Bible teaches that anyone who believes will not perish eternally. John 3, 16, we all know this one. God loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then one more passage. Anyone who believes will have eternal life. Another one, 1 Timothy 1, 16. I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example of those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. See that connection, belief, salvation. Now, I've belabored that point. I think there's like seven points there to make it absolutely clear that salvation and belief go together. So what, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does that even refer to? Well, it, it's not wishful thinking. Belief is not I know all this stuff is kind of weird and crazy, guy living a perfect life, dying and then rising again. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm just going to cross my fingers. I'm going to hope, and I'm just going to hope that he catches me. 
That's the lottery. That's not Christianity. That's not faith. Faith is, is very significant. It's very important. It has three aspects. This is not new. This is hundreds of years old, thousands even. The, there are three parts to faith. The first is data. That in order for me to have what, what the Bible sees as saving faith, I need to know the facts. Jesus lived and he died and he rose again. And I just need to have that data in my head. That data has to be there. Jesus asked his early followers, who do people say that I am? And that question assumed a right or wrong answer. That there's specific data that a person has to have in their brain cells in order to be saved, but that's not enough. Number two, to be saved, we need assent, which is saying, it's not just I have the data in my head, but I assent. I, 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 I think those facts are true. It's not that just I, I have the data in my head, Jesus died and rose again for my sins and all of that, but I actually think it's true. I actually think that matches reality. I think that that's the way, that I think that's the way the world is. I mean, Jesus turns his question from who do people say that I am? He goes, who do, who do you say that I am? That now he's going, okay, okay, I, 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 I got the survey of people's opinions about me, but now I want to know, what do you think is true? But merely knowing the facts, and even thinking the facts are true, that's actually not enough to save. Take a look at this passage here in James 2.19. He says, you believe. He's talking to this group of people that have, have faith, but it's, it's not being seen in their lives. And he goes, you believe that God is one. You believe you have faith in this truth that God is one. Great, you're, you're doing great. And he goes, even demons believe. Wait, what? Demons believe? Yeah, demons know the facts. And demons know the facts are true, Right? Like we're gonna, you know, we're gonna assume the worldview of the Bible is true, that there are there are angels and demons out there, and this invisible reality. Well, demons know the facts, and they know the facts are true. But there's got to be some difference between demonic faith and saving faith, and there is. And it's point number three: saving faith is trust. It's committing to the facts. It's committing to the person of Jesus Christ. It's saying, I'm all in for him. I'm I'm giving my life to him. That that's saving faith. That's why salvation is often pictured in the Bible like marriage, right? It's it's an all-in commitment. It's saying no to, to, to the millions of other men or women in the world and making a life commitment to one person. Why? Because that's a picture of faith. Another picture of faith that's been helpful for me is, of, of not just of, of a picture of saving faith that's been helpful for me, is there was an acrobat in the 1850s named the Great Blondin. Maybe you've heard of him. He became famous for tightrope walking across the Niagara Falls. He would do it with one of those big sticks, you know, and then that was too easy, so then he'd do it blindfolded and then he do it, he did it once pushing a wheelbarrow. He did it on stilts once walking across the Niagara Falls. And he even did it once with a guy on his back and walked across the Niagara Falls. Now think about being a person in the crowd on that day, okay? There he is on the tightrope getting ready to walk across the Niagara Falls. And he goes, how many of you think I could take a man across this on my back? And the whole crowd is like, Yoo! Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, we believe that you can do that. Saving faith responds yes when he says, which one of you will get on? That's saving faith. 
That's saying I'm leaving the ground and I'm committing myself to this person. The person that gets on has biblical faith. Now, myth number two is closely tied to this, so we'll just throw this one in there too. This is, this is not a super common one, but it, it might be for some people. And myth number two is to be saved, you, you don't need to repent, you just believe. You don't need to repent, you just believe. That's the myth. Here's the biblical truth. When anyone, when anyone repents, he will know the truth and escape from Satan's rule. So check out this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. So the Christian you mustn't be quarrelsome, mustn't, shouldn't get in fights. We should be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. So people that disagree with us, we must treat them gently. Why? In the hope that God will grant them repentance, which, notice this, leads them to the knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their sentence and escape the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. So how is it that a person knows the truth and escapes from the snare of the devil who's, ha- who's held, holding them captive to do his will? How do they do that? What, do, what is it that verse says they need? They need repentance. The Bible also teaches when anyone believes, he will not be condemned or judged. Their sins will be forgiven. Notice this passage coming up. Acts 319, repent and turn to God. Why? So that your sins may be wiped out. Your sins will be wiped away. That's a good thing. I'd like that. Next, when anyone repents, number three, he will avoid judgment. So we're seeing some same things that we saw with belief. Believe you'll be forgiven. Repent you'll be forgiven. Believe you'll avoid judgment. Repent you'll avoid judgment. Notice this passage. Acts chapter 17. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now... After the resurrection, he commands all people everywhere to what? Repent. Why? Because he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, namely Jesus. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising this man, Jesus, from the dead. He said, there is a day coming when he will judge the world. But if you want to avoid that, he says, repent. And one more passage. If anyone repents, he will enjoy eternal life. Notice this passage in Acts chapter 11. When, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Life is eternal life. So what is repentance? Repentance is more than just changing your mind. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of life, a, a change of ultimate loyalty. And now, I know we don't, I don't, I don't know about you, but... Except for in churchy context, we don't use the word repent all the time, right? So it's easy for the meaning to elude us. And so in the illustration I used before about wedding, repentance is this. It's saying no to the millions of people out there that I could marry. That's repentance. And faith is life commitment to one person. In the other illustration about the great blonde and repentance is I'm leaving the ground, I'm walking up the steps, and I'm getting on the guy's back. So here's repentance, leaving the ground. Faith is, I'm getting on the guy's back, and I'm walking across. That it's really two sides of the same coin. That um, it's pretty clear, then, that for, for those of you who are math majors who like to see things visually, this kind of put it like an illustration, or, or like an equation, repentance plus faith equals salvation. 
that that's the right response to the gospel. So, my question is, if, if accepting Christ is not biblical, where did it come from? Right? You might be thinking that. Well, then why do people say it if it's not in the Bible? I think that, I don't know for sure, but I think the answer is, is that many people present Christianity like a gift, and it is. There are plenty of people that, that are there plenty of passages in the Bible that talk about salvation being a gift, and so what do you do with a gift? You accept it. So that makes more sense with that illustration of gift giving and gift receiving than repent and believe does. Now, please hear me. I'm not against using synonyms for repentance and faith. I'm not against using synonyms at all. I think they're extremely helpful. But what I'm saying is that if repentance and faith are how the Bible says a person is saved, then let's use those words or let's make synonyms that try to match those words that help explain repentance and faith rather than using synonyms that don't correspond to those two words, like accepting Christ. So what are some synonyms? Some synonyms for repentance might be to turn from, or a 180-degree turn, or an about-face, or surrender, or give up. Jesus' word for repentance was deny yourself. When he wanted to talk about repentance, that's what he said, deny yourself. Synonyms for believe could be trust, commit to, embrace, rely on. Jesus' word was follow, depend on, entrust yourself. See, those synonyms they're not the word believe, and they're not the word repent, but they, they capture that idea. Synonyms for both together would be something like uh, being all in or making a total life commitment. Jesus talked about his synonym for both, putting both together, was lose your life. He said anyone who saves his life will lose it, but anyone who loses his life for my sake, who, who says I'm, I'm done with me and I'm giving my life to you, anyone who does that, they'll save their life. Or give your life to. There's another one. Do you see what we're trying to do? I think we, we want to try to make it easier for people to understand. So we use words like accept Christ or things like that. When, when really it kind of clouds what the Bible says the response, the only res- right response to the gospel is, which is repent and believe. And why is this so crucial? You know, my point is this. That when you, when When asking someone or when asking yourself, when did I become a Christian? It is the same exact thing as saying, when did you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus? It's the same exact question. Does that make sense? And why is this so crucial? Repentance is crucial because what happens in repentance is a person abandons his prideful independence. This... I'm in charge, you're not the boss of me now kind of attitude, which is, which is really at the heart of rebellion against God. A person in repentance says, I'm done with all of that. So repentance surrenders. It, it submits to Jesus as Lord and says, you're the Lord, you're the king, you're in charge, I'm not. And faith is so crucial because when a person has faith in Jesus, what they're saying is that I'm not good enough to go to heaven. I can't do this. So I'm not trusting me anymore. I'm, I'm done with this I'm a good person lie that I tell myself. I'm done with that, and I'm, giving, I'm trusting my life to him. I'm giving my life to him. I'm no longer my savior. He is my savior. So you see why those two things are so critical? That, that, that in repentance, I'm saying, Jesus, you're the Lord, you're the king. I'm not in charge anymore. You are. And in faith, what we're saying is that I, I, I'm not good. I can't save myself. 
you save me. I'm trusting you to save me. If there's no other way to be, if there's any other way to be saved, I'm not going to be saved because I'm trusting in Jesus. I've given my life to him. Now, after all of that, the rest of the myths will be busted pretty easily, like this next one. Sorry, I have to do it. Myth number three, to be saved, ask Jesus into your heart. Okay, let's admit it. How many of you are guilty of that? I know I am. Ask Jesus into your heart. Do you see why that's busted, though? Why that myth is busted? Like, that doesn't even come close to repent and believe. You can't find anything close to to those two words in that statement, right? Where did it come from? I don't know. There's a a passage in Revelation chapter 3 that is a favorite of pastors and evangelists who like to, you know, get people to respond to their message. And so they say, uh, they quote it saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And then they say, Open your heart to Jesus. Ask him to come into your heart. Transform your life, all of those things. Sadly, though, in the passage, it has nothing to do with salvation. He's talking to a church who's in sin, and he's saying, open the door of your church to me. You've shut me out of it, and if you don't open your church to me, I'm going to have to come and discipline you. So the passage in context has nothing to do with salvation. But this is a sacred cow, I think, because it's a favorite of of parents and Christians who work with kids a lot, because they say, like, how am I supposed to make this make sense? How am I supposed to make repent and believe make sense to a child? And my response is, as you go through the Bible, you find that nobody understands repentance and faith, not a child, not an adult. Nobody understands repentance and faith unless God opens their eyes and lets them understand it. So repentance and faith is a hard thing to understand, but again, use synonyms that match those ideas. It's not about asking Jesus in your heart. It's about Jesus accepting you, not not us accepting him. Let's make our presentation of the gospel biblical. Our sacred cow bonfire is kind of raging right now. The barbecue's cooking. Let's tackle one more. Probably the most dominant myth today in our culture, myth number three, is that to be saved, well, everyone's born, you're just born saved. I've always been a Christian. There's never a time I wasn't a Christian or everybody goes to heaven at death. Now, we're tackling this one because this is probably, for our culture, this is probably the number one myth for our culture at large. Right? I mean, no matter how wicked, awful, God-hating somebody is, at their funeral, what is everybody saying? In a better place. In a much better place than this one right? This is salvation by death. You just, you die and you go to heaven. Like, that's just what it is. This is really simple to answer. Just one passage, John 3, 3. Jesus made it really clear. Truly, truly, I say to you, which is like, this is really true. This is the truth. That's why I'm repeating that word. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Being born, that doesn't get you into heaven. Someone needs to be born again. What happens when a person is born again? They're born again, God God gives them new life, and then you know what they do? They repent and believe. You can see this in 1 John 5, verse 1. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Notice that. 
Everyone who believes that, everyone who is currently believing that Jesus is, is the Christ has been born of God. So something happened first, being born again, and then once that happened, they started believing. So myth number four, I think, is pretty busted. Myth number five. This one could be painful, too. After salvation, being saved can make no difference in your life. How is this myth usually stated? It kind of goes like this. I became a Christian when I was five. I asked Jesus into my heart after I prayed a prayer, I prayed the sinner's prayer and accepted him into my life. But I really became a follower of Christ after college. Yeah, you know, I became a Christian. My life really didn't change. You know, I was carnal. I, I still went to the normal party scene in college. And then later, you know, I had a kid, got married. And, you know, then I really got serious about this whole thing. Made Jesus Lord of my life. How long have you been a Christian? 30 years. That's the myth. Let's look at the truth. Acts 26, 20. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. This is Paul speaking. He said, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Demonstrate. Prove, prove that something happened. And in context, what's being demonstrated, what is it that's being demonstrated? Well, in that passage, what's being demonstrated is repentance. This thing that we saw gives people eternal life, helps them know the truth and escape judgment and experience forgiveness. So how is it that we know that that happened according to that verse? He says they prove their repentance by their deeds. So I'm proving my repentance not by my testimony, not by some prayer I prayed, not by my baptism, but my, by my good deeds, by my works, by my obedience. So you don't do good works like getting baptized or praying the sinner's prayer to be saved. You know, it's not this. This is wrong. This is heresy. This is evil. This is, this is a myth of salvation that probably most religious people, on, that, not probably, that most religious people on the planet, regardless of what religion they follow, they believe this. That if I just do enough good things, then God will be happy with me. This is a lie. This is not true. We're not talking about this one because we've been going through the book of Romans where we've hammered on this idea for months. So we're not talking about that one. But what, what should this look like? It should look like this. Repentance plus faith equals salvation plus works. This is what it should look like. Works are the fruit, the evidence, the demonstration of salvation. Works are never the source of salvation. The message today is believe some facts, pray the sinner's prayer, another myth. Ask Jesus into your heart, come up front, raise your hand, accept Christ, and then you're saved. That paradigm's not in the Bible. It's not there. One other passage to look at to try to make this real, 1 John chapter 2. And by this we know that we've come to know him. This is how we know that we have a relationship. We can look at our lives and we say, do I have a relationship with him? He says, here's how you know. Keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, I, I have a relationship with him, but does not keep his commandments. What is that word? Is a what? Gosh, it's hard to say. Is a liar. What are they lying about? Well, in context, they're lying about having a relationship. I know him. The truth is not in him. And one more passage. 1 John chapter 3. Little children, let no one deceive you. Does that kind of bring everything full circle right now? There's a lot of deception out there about 
how to be saved. There's a lot of deception about that there, a lot of confusion, a lot of myths. We only looked at five, but there's so many more. And here they are, like, don't let anyone deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Keep going. The one who is born of God makes, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. One last passage. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Evident means clear, obvious, unmistakable. And he says, here's the test. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now, this passage is not saying that Christians never sin. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So this is not saying that Christians never sin. It doesn't say that at all. What it's talking about is lifestyle. If we go back, if you just write there that word practice. It's talking about direction of life. It's talking about lifestyle. It's talking about what motivates and what drives the person. Is it, gosh, I just want to please God. At the bottom of everything else, sin is not victory. Sin is defeat for the Christian. That when a Christian sins, it hurts them. That there's something in there that goes, no, I wanted to please God, and I didn't. Because what's normally going on in their life is their following this desire to please God. That it says, that's how the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. So can a non-Christian have a lifestyle marked by rebellion with no desire to obey, no acts of obedience in their life? Yes. Can a Christian? No. But they accepted Christ in Sunday school? No. But they were baptized? No. They prayed the sinner's prayer? No. They asked Jesus into their heart? No. Might be painful, but just those three verses, and there are many more, kind of bust that myth too. In other words, the truth is, is that salvation always results in a changed life. Think about it. The God of the universe, it says that when a person believes, Jesus says that, that God makes his home inside of a person. He says that, that, that upon belief that he says, my father and I will make our abode, John 14, 23, in him. That Christians are called the, 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 the temple of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit lives in... Now think about this, the God of the universe living inside of a person doesn't change their life. It's impossible. So we have a lot of experience surrounding getting saved. We have our own testimonies. We've heard the testimonies of friends and family. Testimonies are personal descriptions of what we think happened to us when we were saved. And we just saw that accepting Christ, asking Jesus into your heart, are not how anyone is saved. No one is born saved. No one has always been a Christian. Everyone does not go to a better place when they die. Then I busted the myth that being saved, having the God of the universe living inside you, might, not make a diff- might or may or may not make a difference in your life. But you can live like the devil and still be saved. That's a myth. And if you were listening, I also busted some other famous myths like baptism saves, praying the sinner's prayer saves, good works of obedience save. It's a pretty huge barbecue right now. Huge, massive. Hope you're hungry. The question now is, what do we do when someone's testimony is different from what we saw the Bible teaches? You have two options, really. 
You either reinterpret the Bible to fit your testimony, or you reinterpret your testimony to fit the Bible. Hard? Yeah. Hard to look at my friend or my son or myself and say I'm not following Christ, not a Christian. I've been asking Jesus into my heart, but I, I never did that leaving sin, leaving my independence and saying, Jesus, I trust you. I'm still holding on to my good works. And well, faith is saying I'm done with my good works and I'm trusting in Jesus. Like not seeing that in your life. So I said these are sacred cows. It's hard, super hard. But I chose to talk about this because I'm surrounded by Christian school students every day who are convinced, I'm a high school Bible teacher, who are convinced that they're saved. And when I ask them why they're saved, they say this, because I was baptized, because I've been going to church my whole life, I've always been a Christian. Because I know what the Bible says, Jesus died and rose again for my sins, done. I've been, I asked Jesus into my heart when I prayed the sinner's prayer and accepted him into my life. Again, I'm fine with, with not using the words repent and believe. But again, those words aren't even, the, the synonyms aren't even coming out. And it grieves me deeply because, again, I can think of nothing worse to be wrong about than this issue. How is it that a person is saved? I mean, that was my experience. I mean, I, I thought I was a Christian because at three years old, I prayed a prayer, and, you know, then I lost my salvation. I went to a summer camp when I was nine and got it back again. And then a little later on, I lost it. So then I got it back again when some evangelists came to my church, and I raised my hand because they were ripping phone books in half. I'm like, I, Jesus can do that. I, wanted, I want Jesus, and I'm losing my salvation, getting it back again. And then, then I read the New Testament and went, oh, my gosh. Like, I even got baptized. Like, yeah, I'm a Christian because I'm prayed that prayer, and now I'm saved, and I realized, like, five years late after that, I realized, like, the Bible says repent and believe. That didn't happen until I was 18, and I had to look at my life and go, you know what? I didn't become a Christian when I was three. I didn't become a Christian when I was nine. I didn't become a Christian when I was 13. I didn't get, I wasn't a Christian when I got baptized. Gosh, I got to get re-baptized. Because all they did was, all I did was take a bath in front of a bunch of people at church. That's all I did. There's no transformation that took place before that or during. I had to do that. My life had no fruit, no evidence that God was living in me, no demonstration of my repentance by my deeds. I lived for, I loved the things all my non-Christian friends lived for and loved. But then something happened when I was 18. God worked, and, and my words after that moment was, I need to give my life to Jesus. I didn't use the words repent. I didn't use the words believe, but that synonym came out of my mouth. It was like, and then reflected back on it went, that's in the Bible. And from that moment on, my life changed. I wasn't perfect, nowhere near it. But the direction of my life changed. Now, sin was not victory. Sin was defeat. Now, this, this ambition came out where it's like, gosh, I want to please God. Where before it was all about me. Now, like, well, I want to please God. I can think of nothing more important for you than clearing away the myths in your mind about how anyone can be saved. So if you have any questions about this, I'll be up here. There'll be other people up here to pray with you. Please come up and ask. Please come up and talk to them. Let's pray. Jesus, you said that there would, be, there would be a lot of confusion about this. You said there would be people teaching confusion. You said that there would be um, confusion in our own heads about this. 
You know, my goal in this was not to make anyone feel bad. My goal was to bring biblical truth and to show that there's a contrast between some of the things we believe and what your word says. God, I pray that your truth brings clarity to everyone in this room. I pray that the working out of this truth, well, okay, there I've got it now in my lap, but what am I supposed to do with it, or how do I take it from here? God, your spirit works to open our eyes and help us apply truth in our lives. Please do that for everyone in this room, including myself. Teach us how to live the things that we've seen. Teach us how to understand the things that we've seen. And God, for many or some, or I don't know, God, use this truth to help them rewrite their testimonies and to see how you've worked in their lives. Give some hope that someone that they were holding on to because, you know, they prayed a prayer so they're saved even though there's no evidence of it. Help them to do the hard thing to, to see that I, I, have to, I, I need to share the gospel with that person that I thought was saved. God, this is hard. I recognize that. But it's good because it's your truth. Do these things, please, I pray for the glory of your name. Amen. Thank you, John. Um, for those of you who are new, why is another 